All right, Emmaus, take your Bible and let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. If you have access to the Bible on your phone, you want to bring that out. 1 Corinthians is located in your New Testament, so kind of a little bit toward the the back of the Bible. You get through the Gospels, you get to Acts, and you start to get into a series of letters. It's going to be pretty quick there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Also, if you received a bulletin as you came in, one of those bulletins you came in, if you turn it over in the back, there are some notes there that you can look at that will will guide us through our time. Like I said earlier, we're coming to the end of a sermon series. For six weeks, we've been looking at this topic based on our Vacation Bible School theme this year of, of Game One. We've been looking at this topic of how do sports and recreation and leisure connect with the gospel, what it means to know and follow Christ. And so we've explored this from different angles. And I've tried to say this along the way uh, a couple of different times, but you may be here and you are celebrating today because you're like, oh, we can move on from sports. <laughs> like, sports is just not my thing, recreation, leisure, that's not, it's not really my, my cup of tea. But one of the things I've tried to say repeatedly is you can take what we've done for the past six weeks with sports and you can substitute theater, gardening, music. You take whatever your hobby is. You can take any of those themes. And one of the reasons we've done what we've done over the last six weeks is I want you to be able to take a theme. I want you to be able to take something in your life and trace it out in a similar way. So we haven't just covered this because I love sports, so that's a good reason to do it. We've covered this because the way we've covered it has been intentional that you could turn around and take another theme, another topic, and do very much the same thing. We started out with this idea of of the three circles that shapes the way we understand the story of the gospel, and not only that, but the the story of scripture that in the top left, God has a design for his world. God is the one who got everything started for his glory and his purposes. And when we move away from that, that's called sin. So you take any area of your life, and God has a design for what that looks like. And when we move away from that, we move into brokenness and death. And all those squiggly lines are the ways we try to handle brokenness and death and pain But when we repent and we believe in the gospel, the power of Jesus to save and transform, then we're able to recover and pursue God's design for our life. And so that picture, that three circles picture has been so helpful for me personally because, like I said, you can take any theme, any topic, and you can begin to run it through those three circles. And then we've looked at how does this fit within the big picture of Scripture, And then we've traced out, what does it look like up, in, out, worship, discipleship, missions, anything you're involved in, anything you do, any topic you're interested in, how does this impact worship, how does this impact discipleship, how does this impact missions? And so, what I want to say from the very beginning is, what we've done for the last six weeks, I hope, has not been to celebrate sports, because we have to admit, and and I have to be the first to admit, that we live in a culture where if we're not careful, we'll even begin to elevate sports or elevate athletics or athletes to a place that's not healthy. Uh, We'll begin to say things like, man, if only that guy 
fill in the famous athlete, if only he would become a Christian, man, that would really transform the church. That would really transform our country. That's not how the power of the gospel works. The person who's the least significant, whose life is transformed by the gospel, is just as valuable in the kingdom of heaven as any athlete or any person of power or privilege could ever be. And so we're, we're wanting to guard against that. But what we've done for the last six weeks is say, okay, let's take this topic, let's take this theme, and let's, let's see what it looks like to study this from different angles. And so I hope it's been helpful not just to talk about sports, but for you to take something else and say, okay, I can trace it out using, using a similar, similar pattern. Okay, we've come today to the final piece of this, that missions, the out. How do we think about sports in relation to sharing the message of Jesus with others? How do we take, think about sports connected with evangelism and missions? And so we've come back to 1 Corinthians again. I want us to read 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And we're going to start in verse 19. 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Verse 24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, they do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Let's pray together. Kids, we're going to pray to God as we get ready to study the Bible, okay? Father, this morning... I need to hear this word so clearly. As I think about my own life, my own family, as I think about who we are as a church, this focus on sports has been fun. I love the fact that I get to stand up here in a jersey, but if we miss, if we miss the importance of what your word is saying to us this morning, we miss the whole point. God, we believe that you are victorious, that we have hope and salvation in Christ. We believe you want to transform our lives from the inside out. But if it stops there and we do not share, we do not proclaim and display Jesus to the world around us, we've stopped short of what it means to experience that hope and experience that salvation. God, give us a renewed focus as a church this morning. Give us a renewed desire and passion to make that good news known. God, I pray that people of all ages this morning would be able to rethink the direction and focus and purpose of their lives and to hear clearly what you're calling us to. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Hey, to get started this morning, I want you to see a quick video of maybe what this can look like in action. Watch this, and we're going to jump right back into 1 Corinthians 9. I remember when I was in high school and dog tags were popular, and I went to the mall and I created a, a custom dog tag, and on the front of it I just put the phrase, ball is light. I was a basketball idolater, so that was my god, lowercase g. Back in the day, if you lived in Las Vegas and knew anything about basketball, the name Hayden Ratner probably meant something to you. Hayden was one of those guys who made it big. I went to James Madison University in Virginia, and I'm living out the dream that I always had of being on TV and playing D1 ball. And it was there that God really began to draw me to himself. Hayden Ratner met God when he was away at school, and God told him to go back home. I'd never been to church in Las Vegas in my life. I didn't know that 92% of the people in our city don't have a, a real relationship with Jesus. All I knew back in Las Vegas were people who didn't go to church. So when I came back home that summer, I just decided that, you know what, I'm, I know enough that I can maybe start a small group Bible study. And so I just decided to hit people up that I knew. The people Hayden knew were the people he played ball with. Those people became a Bible study and that Bible study became Walk Church. It was during that first summer that I really sensed God placing his finger on my heart saying, I'm calling you to something different. Where basketball's still gonna be involved, but it's gonna look more like full-time ministry. It's gonna look more like a church plant in the city. It grew as friends brought friends, and eventually, not everyone coming to Walk Church was into basketball, but everyone at Walk Church was into something. One of the things that's really big for us at Walk Church is what we call domain engagement, and that there's thousands and thousands of domains in our culture and our lives. And we encourage people that God wants to use your domain to live your life on mission. This was and is Hayden's domain. It is still his favorite place. These are his favorite people, and ball is still life. Only now, it's life as it was meant to be. For a while there, I thought, all right, basketball is bad. But what, what I noticed Jesus do is he began to redeem the game in my life. And when he redeems things in our lives, he restores them to its original purpose. And that's actually happening right now. I've learned that God's placed me in the basketball community for a reason. One of the things that we know and that we're convinced of is that there's people that we may have never even met that have been a part of building the Walk Church family. People through their resources, people through their prayers, people who have supported things like the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. And so that's why we are a part of this. That's why we believe in it. That's why our church gives to it. And that's why we're thankful for it. All right, obviously it's not Easter, um, and we're not talking about that offering in particular, but I want you to see that example of what it looks like to be involved in a particular area of life and to use that in order to make the gospel known. Back to 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. Look at what Paul says. Look at the goal that he has here. Paul says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. Here's his goal, here's his purpose, that I might win more of them. Then go down to verse 23, you get the same idea. Or verse 22, I mean, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. Same idea, that by all means I might save some. Paul's goal is to see people 
come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Now, let's state the obvious at first. Paul realizes that he doesn't win, he doesn't save the people. You read Paul's letters, there's no theological confusion here. He realizes that salvation is a work of God. He plants, he waters, God gives the growth. When you see the phrases, I win, I save, this is God at work through Paul to make those things happen. Paul is not trying to win people to his side of the argument. Paul is wanting to be used by God to see people have the advantage of experiencing salvation. So the word win there is not something where it's a purely human battle. Paul realizes there's a spiritual battle going on there. But what you do see clearly from the very beginning, that Paul's goal is that people would come to know and follow Christ. We talked a couple of weeks ago, and it's kind of a passing statement in a sermon. We talked a couple of weeks ago about how we have to guard the scorecard at church. Sometimes in church life, we can change the scorecard around to make it look like we're winning when we're really not accomplishing the things that matter most. And I know you're familiar with this language, and I know we have to be cautious how we use it, but it really is true that if we're not careful, church can begin to take on that cruise ship mentality of we're just along for the ride and I want to be comfortable and I want to make sure things are going well. And so our scorecard becomes how good do I feel when I show up to church? Am I pleased? Are my preferences met? As opposed to, you see very clearly from Paul, his goal is that people would come to know and follow Christ. And I've probably seen this most clearly and heard this most clearly from Jim recently, from Jim Liu, as he has been involved in so many types of ministry through Emmaus and our community. But to hear Jim's heart to say, we can do so many good things as a church, but our goal is to see people know and follow Christ. And so from the very beginning, I want us to make sure we're clear about that, that that is who we are as a church. And everything we do revolves around that purpose, that goal, of seeing people come to know and follow Christ. Now, Paul is very clear here. When more of them, there's always more people to reach. Sometimes there might be the idea of, well, we live in South Oklahoma City, Norman, Moore. Who else is there to reach? Do we really need to reach out? Just go talk to your neighbors. I can promise you that there are people who need to know and follow Christ. Uh, If we think there are not more people to reach, it's because we haven't talked to anybody outside of these walls in a long time. There are people desperately looking for hope, desperately looking for a life of meaning and purpose, a life for the purpose it was created for by God, that they would know and worship him. And so Paul is always focusing on more, but look in verse 22, he says that I might save some. He realizes there's nothing in here, this idea that everybody is going to magically respond to the invitation of the gospel. He realizes not everybody is going to respond. He's not going to manipulate. He's not out to sell something, but he does want more people to know and follow Christ. But there's kind of a secondary goal that's tied into this. If you look in verse 23, you get another purpose phrase in verse 23. Paul says, I do it all for the sake of the gospel. Okay, very clear. You could not be more clear here. It's all for the purpose of people knowing and following Christ. In order that, or that, I may share with them in its blessings. So a secondary purpose 
for Paul is that as he's trying to win more, see more people come to salvation, in the process of that, he's able to more fully share in the blessings of Christ. Now, this is an example where King James Version, New American Standard Version, probably wins the game a little bit over English Standard that I'm reading out of here. King James, New American Standard, it probably says something like the word partaker, a partaker in the gospel, a partaker of it. What Paul is getting at here is when he is sharing the gospel, this is not a business transaction that is separate from the rest of his life. This is what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians where he says, we have shared with you not only the gospel, but our very lives as well. I am a partaker in the same gospel that I'm sharing to you. I'm not selling Fords and driving a BMW at home. Like, I really believe in this product. This is something that I'm part of. I'm living this out. And in the process of living this out, I am also partaking in its blessings. One thing you begin to realize, the further along you go in the Christian life, and, and I have a long way to go, and many of you are many, many steps in front of me, is the idea that you really don't fully see and experience all that it means to be a follower of Christ until you're also sharing that with others. Following Christ is the strange thing that the more you give it away, the more you share it, the more it begins to um, revolve back into your life, the more you experience those, those blessings. And so you hold on to it, and it starts to shrivel. You give it away, and it grows up fully. And so what Paul says is the way I'm truly able to experience the gospel, and for Paul, his call to follow Christ and his call to share Christ are really one and the same. And we're probably all good to learn from that. When Paul talks about his call, his call to know and follow Christ is right there at the same time, this call to make the gospel known to the Gentiles. And our call to salvation is simultaneously a call to share that with others. If you are young in your faith, maybe you haven't been a follower of Jesus for very long, don't get sucked into the trap that says, I have to have all the answers before I can tell somebody else about the good news of Jesus. In fact, you're probably in the best position to be able to tell somebody the good news of Jesus because you've experienced this. You're right in the middle of what God is doing in your life, and so you're able to share that with others. So Paul's goal from the very beginning, is it's very straightforward. He wants people to know and follow Christ, and in doing so, he is going to participate more fully in what that looks like. Now the question is, what's his strategy? How does he do this? Go back to verse 20. Here's Paul's strategy, and here's what I want our strategy to be at Emmaus. Verse 20, he says, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not my, being myself under the law, then I might win those under the law. Okay, what you see here is that Paul is willing to be a servant of others to the point that he is willing to accommodate his life. He's willing to make changes in his life in order to meet people where they are, in order to see them brought to Christ. Sometimes there's a fancy, uh, there's a kind of a hundred dollar missions word related to this. It's the word contextualization. I don't even say it well, much less lay it out there for you. But it's the idea that if I go into a culture that's different than my own, I will adapt to that culture in order to most clearly make the gospel known to them so that they're able to understand and respond. 
The gospel message itself, and if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, hear me out on this because I don't want there to be any confusion. If you're not a follower of Jesus, hear me out. The gospel message itself, the idea that we are sinners separated from God, that we have rebelled against God, and the only way we can be made right with him is through Jesus, that is an extremely offensive message. If you are offended by the gospel message, you're understanding the gospel message. You're, you're right, you're, you're in exactly the right place. Here's the problem. Christians who have experienced the power of God in their life and are sharing that message with others, they sometimes become offensive. What Paul is saying is, I have an offensive, difficult message to share. In the process, I should not be offensive. <laughs> so I'm gonna do everything I can to remove offending behavior. I'm gonna do everything I can to break down these barriers in order that I can share this message with people that I've, I've connected with. So I become as them. Now, a couple of cautions here. You could say, yeah, but in other places, Paul says, don't be a people pleaser. Aren't you just being a people pleaser? Here's the difference. Paul will never compromise the message that he's sharing in order to please other people. He's not gonna say one thing to one group and turn around and say something else to another group. He's not going to compromise that. He's not gonna be a chameleon just trying to fit in. He's not gonna compromise the message, but he will give up some of his personal rights and personal privileges in order to please others, in order to connect with them, in order to share the gospel. That is what he's willing to do. And the strange thing about that in order to meet other people where they are, you have to have a pretty strong personal identity. Because if you don't, you will constantly worry about, am I pleasing them? Do they like me? Have I connected with them? Paul has a strong personal core in Christ such that, here's the key, he is free in Christ. In Christ, there's incredible freedom. But with that freedom, he's willing to be a slave. He's willing to be a servant to others. He's willing to meet people right where they are in order to be able to share the gospel. Why does Paul do this? Because it's exactly what Jesus has done for us. Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be held onto or grasped, but he emptied himself. He, he made himself nothing taking on the very nature of humanity in order that he could live out the human life, ultimately to die with us and for us. What Jesus has done for us, not saying you have to get to me, but I will come to you, is exactly what Paul's going to do with others. He's not going to say you have to find me in order to hear about Jesus, but I'm going to come find you, and not only am I going to find you, but I'm going to meet you right where you are. Which means... Irony of ironies. God might say, Owen, I have trouble verbalizing this because of how badly this hurts. God might say, Owen, you might have to give up this whole sports obsession to meet people who, frankly, just don't care much about sports, but you're going to become as they are. You're going to meet them right where they are in order that they can hear about the gospel, not in the way you want to present it, but in the way that they can best understand it. And so you can obsess about sports for six weeks and then be told to turn around and say, I'll become as a non-sports person in order to see non-sports people one to Christ. You know how badly that hurts just on a personal level? Like that we would have these personal preferences 
We would have these personal rights, these personal interests, and we would say, I'll give that up in order to see someone else be able to know and hear about Christ. So there's a really good question for us to ask here. What is God calling us to give up? Personal preferences, personal rights, in order to connect with someone, in order to be able to share the gospel with them. As a church, if we're not careful, we can hold on to preferences, we can hold on to rights, we can hold on to things that end up becoming a barrier to the gospel. And we, we do the same thing personally. And so Paul says, I'm going to lay these things down. When he says to the Jews, I, I became as a Jew, this is a pretty big statement because he's saying my core identity is no longer my ethnic cultural background. My identity is now in Christ, but I will connect with the Jewish people. So he'll have Timothy circumcised or an ax. He'll go into the temple and, and take part in some of the things happening there. But he does it in order to be able to, to share the gospel with him. So I'll, I'll do those things. To those under the law, this is probably a reference to people who weren't Jews but were observing the, the Jewish uh, law. They were, they were uh, converts or proselytes to Judaism. You go to the next verse. Here's a good clarification that comes there in verse 21. To those outside the law... I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So if you're really following along, and, and kids hear me clearly on this, okay? If you're really following along, you say, man, I really need to be able to connect with that person in order to build a relationship to share the gospel. That person is totally living in sin, way outside the will of God, so I'll go do what they're doing, even though it's sinful, in order to build a relationship and share the gospel. And Paul says, whoa, time, time out, time out. I'll connect with people who are not under the law. I'll, I'll connect with them, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to indulge myself or live in a sinful way. It says, though, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So even in Paul's efforts to connect with people, he won't do it in a way that confuses the gospel that he's trying to share. So we don't live sinfully in order to connect with people who are living sinfully, but we do connect with them on morally neutral matters or cultural matters or meeting them where they are, not in behavior, but, but in culture and custom and, and, and those type of things. I probably told you the story, but... When we were on uh, pastoring on the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, uh, they had a huge, huge classic car show that would come through. And our church would take part in that and, and try to minister to people and share the gospel. I hate to kill my man card, but I just don't know, and worse, don't care very much about classic cars. Now, don't walk out of the building, don't throw things at me, don't, don't, don't leave the church or anything like that. It's just not of interest to me. But that week, it became of interest to me because this is what we were doing. This is who we were as a church. These were the people we were connected with. So I just stood around the cars and shook my head a lot when they would talk. And like, yeah, oh man, fascinating. I never thought of that before. You, you have like the, the, the five go-to phrases when you don't know anything about the subject that someone's talking about, but, but you're just playing along. Oh, yes, I've thought that myself before. So uh, 
it's all the fumes coming out of those cars that causes people to, to say those type of things. But you would just try to do everything you could to connect with someone in order to be able to have the following conversation of, hey, why are you in town? Let me tell you why we're here. And then begin to share with them about the, about the gospel. So you see that there. You go on in verse 22. Paul says, to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I've become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. That word weak causes a little bit of a controversy among commentators. Is Paul referring to weak Christians, so I become as those who stumble because of their conscience, or is the word weak there a reference to those who are weak in society? Um, There's no way to know for sure, though, though my money's on the second, that Paul has been talking about people who are not followers of Jesus, so it would be strange for him to switch back at this point to talking about a group of weak Christians. Um, he'll use weak, uh, like in 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven, in reference to those who are, who are weak in society. They don't carry much weight in society. And so Paul says, I might have some standing, but I will go and meet people who are weak in society in order to connect with them so that they can hear about the gospel. Uh, Amanda and I went on a mission trip to Mexico when we were seniors in college, and one of the people that we met on this mission trip, one of the missionaries down there, he had two different cars and two different sets of clothing that he would wear because he was a really well-to-do business person who lived in a country club, gated community down there. So he drove a very nice car, he had very nice clothes, He used that car and used those clothes when he was in his community. Literally, across the street from this gated community was one of the poorest areas in this town. He had a different car. He had a different set of clothes that he would wear when he would go to do Bible studies and minister in this community. Somebody could accuse him of being a chameleon and trying to... He did this because if he drove his car and wore his nice clothes into that community next door... They weren't going to listen to him. They weren't going to connect to him. All these other ideas about what it looked like to share the gospel would go out the door. He met people right where they are in order there wouldn't be those barriers so he could share the gospel with them. I always think about that story when I read this particular uh, section out of 1 Corinthians 9 because I think that's exactly what it's talking about. Look down in verse 24. Let's, let's jump ahead to verse 24. Some people think the focus shifts in verse 24 I think Paul keeps thinking about the same thing. This is more of a strategy for how he's going to share the gospel. Verse 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Paul was a person who had incredible focus on what he had been called to do. Acts chapter 20, up here on the screen, verse 24 Paul says there, I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul lived with laser sharp focus on what he had been called to do. Nothing was going to get in the way of that. Nothing was going to stop that. Verse 25, every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So part of Paul's strategy was he had self-control because he had an eternal perspective. 
In 1 Corinthians, and and really across the New Testament, but particularly in 1 Corinthians, this idea of self-control was connected to um, sexual relationships or marriage and was also connected to food. If you would take part in different uh, foods and and you would connect with people. So it really boiled down to, to those two things. And Paul was willing not to indulge himself because he had an eternal focus that he had been called to. He had the type of self-control that says, I'm not going to be dominated by this particular pleasure because God has called me to focus on something eternal. Now remember, remember 1 Timothy chapter 4 that we looked at several times during this sermon series where it says to avoid the false teaching of those who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Here's the clear division. Paul is not saying don't get married, and Paul's not saying don't eat that food. What he is saying is I'm willing and I have the self-control to give those things up if it will allow me to make more of an eternal kingdom impact. So I'm not going to be so dominated by my desires, my personal physical desires, I'm not going to be so dominated by those that I end up running after the things of this world as opposed to the things that are eternal. And man, that's a good word to us. And if it's a good word to us, it's particularly a good word to people who are in some sort of leadership capacity. Because a week doesn't go by, it seems like, that you don't read about someone who is in some level of spiritual leadership And they were so dominated by something of this world that it ended up cutting the legs out of what they had really been called to do. And Paul says, I'm not going to let anything get in the way of what God has called me to do. I'm going to have self-control. Look at the next verse there, verse 26. Part of his strategy, verse 26, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. Okay, so I started to show this video, but I just... With, with, I knew our not having Elevate and our little kids in the room, I didn't feel totally comfortable about it. But if you've seen the video of the heavyweight boxer who swings and misses his opponent and pops himself right in, in the face, it was, a, uh, it was a heavyweight fight from maybe a month ago. Tyson Fury, though, he swings at his opponent, completely misses, and just cracks himself right, right in the chin. Um, I would almost never promote that you just go out and watch something on YouTube, but it's a pretty funny uh, video when he, this idea that I would box aimlessly, that I would miss, miss the target. The wording here, the wording here also is the wording for shadow boxing. And here, here's the funny thing. Paul says, I'm going to live in a way that is purposeful. I'm going to live in a way that I'm actually doing something that matters. I'm not going to shadow box. Here's one of the ways this can look in modern day church. If we're not careful, and my generation is probably particularly bad at this, if we're not careful, we can talk theory, and we can practice, and we can go to classes, and we can learn different techniques, and we never actually do the thing that God has called us to do. So we shadow box until we're just completely exhausted. We, we, we run ourselves ragged, and yet we never get to the thing that actually makes the most impact. Sometimes church people 
can make themselves tired on church things and never get to the point of making the gospel known to people who haven't heard. Sometimes we can take so many classes and we can practice and theorize so much and we never actually get in the fight. Okay, so, so I'm hesitant to use a quote that LeBron writes on his shoes. Um, I saw one person brave enough to wear a Lakers shirt this morning, but, but she had a good reason for doing so. But this quote became famous in multiple situations and, and LeBron apparently wrote the uh, opening line to this on his shoes during part of the playoffs. But this is a quote from Teddy Roosevelt, and I, and I think it helps us to understand a little bit of what Paul is going at here. Here's the quote. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. In the arena is kind of the title of this speech or quote. Whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. It goes on. Who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. I say this with a, with a word of caution because I want to be careful. We don't want to be unwise. We don't want to be dumb. But Adamaeus, if we're going to fail, let's fail trying. If, if we're going to come up short, let's come up short because at least we gave it a shot. Like, let's be in the game. Let's not just sit around and theorize. Let's not just sit around, sit around and make sure we're comfortable. Like, let's get out there and do the thing that we've been called to do. We may mess up. We may struggle. But if we're going to struggle, it's going to be because at least we were in the game. Look at the last verse there in, in verse 27. The last thing Paul says is, I discipline my body, and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. What Paul is saying here is exactly what we said last week. Let's endure. Let's keep going. If you glance at your notes there on the bottom, a couple of ways to kind of wrap this up this morning. We're going to sing a final song here in just a minute and take up our offering. And, and, but I want you to see kind of where this is, is pointing here at the end. The first is that we would not disconnect worship and discipleship from missions, okay? What we do in worship and what we do in growing our faith is meant to be connected with sharing our faith. As we worship God, as we grow in our faith, we're going to share that. Those are all meant to connect together. And we do that in our neighborhoods and we do that in all nations. In our neighborhoods where we're called to be salt and light, where we're called to make the most of opportunity, where we're called to get involved Make the gospel known right where God has placed you. When it comes to sports, we're going to do that some here on the Emmaus campus. I'll tell you, from an outsider's perspective, coming in two and a half years ago, one of the greatest strategic decisions that Emmaus ever made was to turn that chapel into a gym. I know that took some guts to make that transition. I know some of you still see that as your old sanctuary, but I cannot imagine being here without having that gym facility and what it allows us to do in ministry. We don't have any plans completely laid out, but if you look at our west property, we have so much acreage back there of, of grassy area. Love grassy area, it's awesome, but 
there are people asking questions about, man, what does it look like to put some little league fields back there? What does it look like to put a walking track back there? What does it look like to put together something that allows us to, to share the gospel with people and connect with people in our community? And so I appreciate being a part of a church that's willing to ask those questions and go in that direction. How do we connect with people in our community? And then how do you connect with people right where you are? And the cool thing about sports and activities is that it breaks down the language gap you go on mission trips, and you can't speak a word of their language, but you can throw a football, you can kick a football, you can throw a frisbee, you can connect with people, and it breaks down all these bridges so you're able to share about the good news of Jesus. I love, love, love what God is doing in our church, but I'm even more excited about what God wants to do through our church that he has called us not just to be here for our own comfort, he's called us to see people come to know and follow Christ. I hope you're excited about that. I hope you're willing to lay down your rights, lay down your preferences, and do what God has called us to do. Would you bow your heads with me? We're gonna sing one final song together this morning. During that song, we pass around our, our offering plates. You're able to put your guest card in there, able to put your offering in there, we're also going to sing about the freedom and the hope that we have in Christ. And as we sing this song, I pray, I pray, Emmaus, that you would think about what God might be calling us to do. How is God calling you to live as a family? How is God calling you to live individually? Are we willing to walk by faith? Are we willing to live with self-control, to live with discipline, to live with laser-sharp focus? in such a way that people would know and experience the incredible freedom that comes through Christ.